Well, it was about 22 years ago when a young Tim and Jen Rogers went on our very first and only honeymoon, right? And I was convinced at the time that I had the best honeymoon plan in the world. You see, I was a kid who grew up in the Caribbean, and my parents are missionaries. I was born in Grenada and grew up in Barbados. And it was a time where I thought, you know, I have a chance to bring my young bride with me to this island that she has never seen. In fact, as a kid coming back here to America, I had story after story that no one could relate to because no one grew up where I did. No one knew the schools I went to or the churches that I attended or the friends that I had or the experiences that I had. And so when I got to take my bride down there on our honeymoon, I thought, what a great opportunity. We had 10 days and I'm going to cart her all around and show her all the amazing places that I experienced. And so we got there and within the first day we had rented a car and we started driving all across the 21 mile long and 14 mile wide island, crisscrossing every which way, showing her the school, the church friends, places, and the next day I had a full agenda as well, and we went through day number two, and it was amazing for me. <laughs> and by the end of day two, I think at dinner time, Jen kind of said in what is a, a tone of a newlywed, like trying not to be offensive, but trying to get the point across, do you think, there was a question, do you think there's any way we could spend some time at the beach? And I thought, why in the world would you come to a Caribbean island to spend time at the beach? <laughs> Like nothing happened at the beach. And I remember thinking in that moment, like I have taken this honeymoon experience and in my own blind spots, I have applied my selfish heart to it and said, I want to get out of this honeymoon what I want to get out of it. I had taken that honeymoon and without realizing it, I had these underlying expectations that are driven by me, not driven by we changed the nature of this honeymoon. In fact, because that was driven by me and not we, it shrunk the honeymoon down in size to something I could control and something I could manage. It was no longer a more powerful experience and bigger than me. It was about me. And I remember having that moment, that thought of like, oh, I have really immediately blown it. Like we're just hours into our marriage and I already am not loving unselfishly. And I have to admit, as I think about where we are now, um, both in our country and in our community and maybe even in the church, it is not difficult to apply, to walk into situations and when the stress particularly is high, we tend to import selfish expectations into the environments that we are in. It's just the way that it works. I remember reading a book um, from Coach Mike Shashevsky uh, or Coach K, coaches Duke basketball. And he made a great point about how at the end of games in particular, when his, his young men get tired, the tendency always, when you're under stress and you're down by one with 30 seconds to go and someone blows a defensive assignment or misses a rebound, the tendency immediately is to point out the person and forget that you work as a team. Under stress and in, in high moments like that, we tend to immediately turn to selfishness. What do I need to do and where did you blow it? And me becomes way more important than we when we are under stress and that is just the way that it works. It's the way it works in basketball, in my honeymoon, and sometimes in the church sometimes in our community, and sometimes in our country. I want to encourage us today, I want to encourage us today to listen again, to maybe see again, to feel again underneath the surface what is driving us right now as Christians in particular. And so if you call yourself a Christian this morning, know that I'm speaking to you directly. And if you're not a Christian, I just invite you to listen in and kind of learn what you will from this, but particularly if you call yourself a Christian. 
I want to ask you some questions this morning, even now as we consider things around church and how the church functions and how it even works. I want to encourage you to stop and listen again to some of the own maybe phrases that you have used or maybe that you have heard in your hearing or in your, com in your company or in your family or whatever. Because I've heard some things in the past couple months that have been troubling to me. I've heard things like this. Well, you know, the average age of death from those by COVID is about 77. And then the sentence tra trails off as if the implication is, and that's going to be okay. You know, if it were 40, that would be different. Or if it was young kids, that would be different. We, do we hear ourselves? Because what we're saying is we are pro-life until a certain age. And then it no longer matters the way that I think it should. Do we hear ourselves talk? Do we hear ourselves talk when we say the online or virtual experience, it just doesn't suit me? Do we hear that? Do we hear that what we're saying is it really is about me and what suits me? Do we hear ourselves talk when we're saying, well, why don't we reopen because Walmart is reopened? Do we hear ourselves saying that our goal is to be Walmart? Do we want to incorporate all of their corporate values into the church? See, the church is something very different than that. And it is not hard, it is not hard under times of stress to begin thinking about me instead of we. And what is driving this series for me in this pandemic priority series is this hard question that I looked at quite seriously in the first couple days and weeks even into the pandemic. This question I brought up last week was this, what would happen if GPC never returns? I very legitimately looked at that question and I let it sit in my heart for a little while. What if we don't survive this? What if Grace Point dies? And it was a hard question to ask, but it was also a freeing question to ask because I am convinced it will not be the end of the world if that happens. And it made me come to a couple conclusions, four conclusions in particular that I'm sharing in the series. The first one we talked about last weekend is this, that the church is more important than church is. That the church universal is more important than any particular church. And when I felt like it's okay that other churches die, that we might live, I thought, oh my goodness, that is such, again, a selfish thought. That is a me rather than we thing. And that, again, just like my honeymoon, I shrunk things down to my size again. The thing I want to look at today in part two of this series is this big idea that this, that service is more important than services. Service is more important than services. I want to jump in with you to an Old Testament story to kind of get our mind thinking and our hearts going about what this means and how it applies to the church. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to an Old Testament book, Minor Prophets. It might be hard for you to find, but I'm going to put all the... Um, the, I'm going to show the Bible verses on the screen for you today so you can track along that way. Or if you have your version app, you're welcome to open that in your app in your phone or whatever. Uh, but Zechariah chapter 7 is where we're going to jump into here today. And just by way of background, I want you to know that we're jumping into a period of time where the nation of Israel... They were about halfway through a rebuilding of the temple period. They had already gone into exile. And so they, were, they had spent years and years and years away from Jerusalem. They had recovered from that. They had kind of been spit out of that, so to speak. And they're now rebuilding the, the temple. They're about halfway through that when uh, about you know, a, a delegation of people from a city called Bethel, about 12 miles north of Jerusalem, came down to Jerusalem, and this little delegation was tasked with asking a question. And they're going to see this question in verse, um, verse 3 
of Zechariah 7 right away. So they, they come to ask a question about how they should continue to function and what they should do. And here's their leading question. They put it this way, and they put it in the singular, even though it's meant to be plural. Should I, as in you know, these people, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? And they're asking Zechariah this question. And they're asking Zechariah because they want to hear from God on this issue. Like, as we rebuild, should I continue to mourn and fast because it doesn't feel like we're in that mood anymore? Like, we're rebuilding. This should be a good time. And I'm not sure if I should mourn and fast because the mourning and fasting in the fifth month, which was July and August, in the July and August mourning and fasting rhythm they had been in, it was to recognize when their temple had been destroyed. So they're asking a legitimate question of like, we're recognizing the destruction of the temple in this morning and fasting July and August thing, but we're rebuilding right now. So should we continue to do this as a nation? Now, if you have ever asked a question to someone in authority over you and they respond with another question, usually it means you've asked the wrong question. And that is what happens here. Here's what happens next in verse 4 of Zechariah 7. And Zechariah is telling us what God told him. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. And this is what Zechariah says to this delegation. Instead of answering you, I want you to go ask all the people of the land and the priests. Hey, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Can you just feel the kind of mic drop and the silence in the room for a minute? The delegation standing before Zechariah. Before I answer your question, I want you to go back and you ask another question. Go back to all the people who want to know what they should do and ask them. When you had these services for 70 years, was it really for me that you did them? And then he asks another question. He continues this way. And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? In other words, guys, what's the point? You're asking me a question about whether you should continue doing something that you never did for me in the first place. I mean, it looked like it was for me, sure. You met, you had services, you did your thing, but come on, I know, and you know it was really for you. It wasn't for me. So you're standing in front of me asking if you should continue doing something that meant nothing to me in the first place. You're not even asking the right question. What does he want from them? And I love the way he puts it here. He says, and then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. This is what I want. Instead of your worship services, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. You know what I want from you? I want you to show justice. I want you to show mercy. I want you to show compassion. I want you not to oppress. I want you not to plot evil. I want, in other words, I want your service more than your services. I want the people around you to know that the people of God are people who bring justice, who bring freedom, who show mercy and compassion. But you're asking me the question, should we continue to have our services? You're asking the wrong question. What's underneath this is do the people around you experience the love of God through you, regardless of whether you have your services or not? Do they feel that and sense that love of God? Are they sensing that mercy, that justice, that compassion? 
And here's what happened to people in the Old Testament. When they're confronted with something they should change, they ignored it because it didn't seem that pressing. Here's what happens in verse 11. This is what the nation of Israel had done. But they refused to pay attention. And they stubbornly turned their backs and covered their ears. And they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. And so the Lord Almighty was very angry. And the result of that was this, that when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers. The land they left behind them was so desolate that no one traveled through it. And this is how they made the pleasant land desolate. If you want to make what's pleasant desolate, don't do what God wants. If you want to take what should be a time of life and joy and freedom and love, just don't listen to the words of God. I mean, that's what he's saying to them. Guys, you're standing in front of me asking a question. Should we continue doing this worship thing we did in July and August for a long time? And I'm asking you a totally different question. We're on two different wavelengths here. Service, your service is more important than any of the services that you have ever had. Don't come to me with a worship service when your heart is far from me. Don't come to me trying to get things going when you're not showing justice and mercy and compassion to your neighbor. I don't even hear that. I don't want that. If you want to make your land desolate, then go ahead and do that. Can you just see the delegation standing there in front of Zechariah? They still have the question, to be honest, like, what should we do with the feast? I mean, or the fast, excuse me. What should we do with that? Because this is God's heart, not just in Zechariah, but also in Amos. You know, Amos says the same thing. He tells the same story. This is a part of the Old Testament nation of Israel's history. In Amos chapter 5, we read it this way. God's All right, we back? Good. Sorry about that. Thanks for staying with me here. We're back to Amos. And here's what Amos had to say. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Again, the reaction of God to their worship. You're bringing me this beautiful sound. You're bringing me this beautiful service. I don't care. Like, why don't you care, God? What is going on? And Amos finishes it this way, and he puts it this way. He says, but, in contrast to what you did, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. All day long, I would love to have your justice roll through life. All day long, I'd like to have you doing the right thing. I'd like to have your righteousness as impacted in your relationship with me, impacting the people around you like a never-failing stream. May that flow never stop. But your services, come on, if they're not undergirded by this compassion and heart for the people around you, this instinct to want justice and mercy and righteousness for the people around you, don't give me your services. I don't care about that. 
Not in light of this. You know, Micah summarizes it this way in Micah 6, excuse me, Hosea 6, 6. He says, for I, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I want your mercy. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your service. I don't want your services. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And it's not just in the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus came, when he came to the planet and he walked the earth, I am convinced Jesus did not come to the earth so that we could have worship services, not like we know them. I do not think that is the highest calling of the church at all. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 4 that here's why he came. Luke chapter 4, he puts it this way. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's quoting Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then he says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This year of the Lord's favor is this 50 year, what's called year of Jubilee. It was that big year where debts were forgiven, slaves were freed, um, land was kind of reallocated so that people didn't have generational debt and had to deal with systemic oppression long term. This was this freeing of the land, a social, sociological, um, economic shift and change. This wasn't just a religious idea. This is a complete social and cultural idea. And Jesus is saying, I've come for this kind of thing. I've come to bring good news to the poor. I haven't come that you can have worship services. I've come that you can proclaim the year of the Lord's service, that you can show mercy and kindness. Let justice roll on like a never failing stream. Let the people of God be the people who are interested in service more than service is. Now, with that being said, We've left our people in Zechariah. We've left our delegation from Bethel in the presence of Zechariah with this question that's outstanding. So what exactly should we do with the fasting that we did for a long time? Because I'm not sure you've answered that question. And finally, in the next chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19, is where God actually answers the question. So what should you do? with the services that you used to have? What should you do with that fasting? What should you do with what was done before? And here's how he answers that. Zechariah 8, 19. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. I'm going to take what was a sign of mourning and we're going to turn that into joy. We're going to have a good time together, and yes, we will have services. We will have times when we will get together and together sing, even at Grace Point, together sing about the glory and beauty and majesty of God. We will return to a form of services where, which I hope will be glad occasions and joyful. Joyful festivals, if you will, for the people in our community and for anyone who'd like to worship God. Therefore, though, What's underneath this is what I've put there in the highlight. Therefore, God, God is saying through Zechariah, please love both truth and peace. Love what is true. What is true is what God wants through this. And love peace. This idea of I'm interested in not just my opinion or my interests. I'm interested in the peace of the people around me. I'm interested in peace through division. I'm interested in the the shalom, the peace of God coming to this space. Therefore, love that, that the desire and love for truth and peace would undergird and serve the foundation for worship services that are glad and joyful occasions. But when we need to, may we come back to this question and this issue, that the church ultimately, that service is more important than services. That the biggest thing that Jesus came to do was not to establish a church that we could have worship services, 
that just isn't the biggest point. That underneath what we do, we have to realize, and I think I realize when I ask the question, what if Grace Point doesn't return? As I think about our worship services, I begin to think, you know, what if the thing that we miss the most is actually one of the most dangerous things for us to miss? As if it is this pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. As, oh, if only we can get back to that, then the church will be fully functioning again. Completely disagree. The church never closed. They never stopped being the church. Yes, we haven't been able to be in large worship together. But the service of the church and the service of the people of God in justice and mercy and caring and compassion and love to our neighbor, may that roll on like a never-ending stream. That is what, I think, is underneath what the church should be about and what Christians should be about especially. So if this, if this is true, I want to encourage you with a couple things. First of all, I want to encourage you, don't um, make the mistake I made on my honeymoon. I crafted an experience that in my mind, truthfully, it was more about me than about us. And I just have to be honest with that. It was. I wanted what I wanted, and I, I may have wanted it for good reasons. I wanted to be able to show my new bride the experiences and history of my past. But in doing that, in, in pushing my interest forward, I didn't realize I was doing it. I didn't realize I was doing it. In pushing my interest forward, I shrunk my honeymoon down in size to something that only I could enjoy and only I would get benefit from. I didn't think about the impact on my wife. So... With that being said, I want to say just a couple more things, and that is this. If that is true that service is more important than services, then when and how we get back together in corporate worship as a church, Grace Point Church, is less important than when and how we serve our neighbors right now. When and how we get back together again in corporate worship is less important than when and how we serve our neighbors right now. And I know that some of you are just missing being together. And that is a natural grief for you. And I grieve that with you. As I was sitting here this morning hearing our worship team play, even a kind of a small number compared to what we normally have, I grieve the loss of being able to be together. So I feel that with you. I really do. I have shed tears in our worship services before. I have been moved deeply, both emotionally and spiritually before in our services. I legitimately miss that space. I miss that I can't be talking to you live in person, that I'm talking to a camera now, and I want to see all of your faces right in front of me. I miss that. I really do. But I also know that the church is more than services. In fact, if all it is, or if that's the highest calling, we've missed something pretty significant. Just a couple months ago, pre-pandemic, it feels like a lifetime ago, that I had breakfast with a friend of mine who is now um, walked away from faith. Um, and as I was sitting there talking to him about some of the things that we're doing in our community, and, and he knows what's going on in our community, um, he said, you know, it almost feels to me like Grace Point Church is more about the community than it is about creating big worship services that just would attract a lot of people to its building. That is maybe the best thing I have heard all year. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, Grace Point Church cares more about how in the world are the people around us being loved and engaging with the people of God, where they work, where they go to school, who they play with, that we may be conduits of, that we can be people who show that compassion and mercy. That when we gather for corporate worship, 
It is an extension of glad joy built on a foundation of people who want to serve, want to extend the same love of God that Christ came to show to us. So this is why I think that GPC's best expression is when we offer loving service to our neighbor, not when we just come together. That the best expression, Grace Point at its very best, is when we offer loving service to our neighbor because service is more important than service is. We have a number of core values here at GPC, and um, one of them talks about how we're going to serve our neighbor with abandon. And we have a, a question that goes along with that. I want to offer that question to you here this morning for consideration. That is this question. If you think about my own life, who, where, and how am I serving? Who am I serving? Where am I serving? And how am I serving? Not just in a volunteer role, but you might think as an employer. Who are your employees who come in? You might think about as a, a grandma, where are your opportunities with your grandchildren? You may think about as a spouse, how am I serving my spouse? You may think as a, as a young adult, who do I get to serve in my young adult world around me, where I go to volunteer, where I go to the gym when that you know, reopens, when I engage in my hobbies that I engage with? Who am I serving? Where am I serving and how am I serving? Guys, my interest for us is that the church doesn't get off mission, that doesn't lose its vision, that doesn't forget that ultimately service is more important than services. I long for the time when we can get back together in full worship service mode, but I also long for us never to be people who would stand before God via Zechariah and ask questions about, hey, excuse me, when can we get back to and how can we do this? And only to have God ask us another question. Have you forgotten what's most important? For the nation of Israel for 70 years, 70 years. Think about that. That's an entire lifetime where some children would have born and died and this is all they did was offer meaningless worship to God. That God said, your heart isn't in the right place. Your compassion for justice, for mercy, for the people around you, it just isn't there. And so I haven't listened to you for decades. So if you want to keep meeting, go ahead, but I'm not listening. Now, I'm not saying we're there, but I am saying that we should ask the question, is there anything that I can learn from that story for where I am today? Because if it is true that our tendency when stress elevates is to think about me rather than we, then it's possible that there's a part of that that is a part of all of our hearts. Guys, I love you. I cannot wait to get back to worship, but I also can't wait for justice to roll, for you to keep serving in your place of business, in your home, with your families, the way that God wants us to, to be people of mercy and compassion and service, never forgetting that service is more important than services. I look forward to having you join us next week, if you can, right here, 9 o'clock online again at Grace Point Church, where we cover part three of this pandemic priorities series. We're going to drop the S on another word and hopefully offer something that could be encouraging and helpful for you. Will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the time to be together this morning and to engage some ideas here and to hear some stories of how you have worked in the past and even how the people of God have gotten off track in the past. 
If we're honest, we know the tendencies in all of our hearts is to think about me more than we when the stress rises. It just is. And so I pray that you would use these moments of this pandemic that is causing disruption. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to stop and listen, even listen to our own language, listen to our own words, listen to our own hearts, so that what we offer in worship to you is something that is built on this foundation of the, what we call the incarnational love of Christ, that, that we show the kind of love and mercy and compassion to the people right around us, just like you showed to us. So may we not lose sight of that, yes, as we long to get back together again as safely and in as healthy a way as we can. But I pray that you would give us courage and vision to see for real what's going on in our hearts and what's going on with the church, that the church will be a space where people will see your love, feel that love, and experience the justice and mercy of a loving Heavenly Father through the hands and feet of those who call themselves Christian. And we pray this in Jesus' name.